I want to start today with a question for you to think about. Um, what is one thing that you want for the people in your life? So if you were to be asked that question, well, I'm asking you that question, what is one thing you want? So maybe the people sitting next to you, maybe it's your friends, your family. What is one thing that you want for them? Amen. Amen. What if they're already saved? <laughs> so, yeah, it's great that we want them to come to know the Lord Jesus. And, and once they've encountered them, uh, there are other things we might want. Um, and it's interesting that I've been reading through some of the epistles uh, of Paul and there's a prayer that he prays for the churches. And now this is particularly for the Ephesians, for the Colossians, for the Philippians. And there was a, a prayer. And if you read the first chapter of each of those books, um, you, you'll notice something that's very similar in each of them. I thought it's really interesting that Paul was coming to these people and he, and he prays this prayer. And it's as if it's like, this is, if, if there's one thing you could have, this is what I want for you. And I thought, therefore, if Paul kind of repeats this thing three times to different people, therefore, it must be quite an important thing for us as well. Um, and so it definitely caught my attention. I'm going to read the first one in the book of Colossians. I don't know if you've got your Bibles. I really want to encourage you to, to have your Bibles, to bring your Bibles, to, to have this as kind of like an extension of your person, um, because it is the Word of God. And, and when you come... Recently, I did a teaching on um, during the midweek about where the Bible comes from, and and it just struck me that people died to put the hands, the Word of God, into people's hands, because previously it would be the priest at the front who would tell everyone what the Word of God was, um, and it's not now you kind of like wish I bought my Bible, um, but I just want to encourage you that that is to have your own Bible, and I really think to annotate your Bible to bring a highlighter, bring a pen, uh, can be really a blessing as well to see what God's speaking. But anyway, I'm going to read from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, and there's a few, uh, verse 9 to 12. And it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And this prayer, it's a very similar prayer in the other two epistles as well. Uh, and so I sort of work our way through it because I think, as I say, it's, if it was important for Paul, then these churches, maybe it's important for us as well. So he starts and he says, and so from the day we heard. And what did they hear about? They heard about that these people had given their lives to the Lord. They heard about that they, they expressed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from this very day, Paul was like, oh, I heard you've become a Christian. I've heard you've given your life to the Lord. Therefore, there's one thing you've got to get. 
There's one thing you've got to know. He was so passionate about this. He was like, from the day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when, when you commit yourself to pray for something, I don't know, for me, I always like start off well. And then like a couple of days in, I get a bit flaky and I forget. And I know John talked about an app that he's got that helped him remember. And I've got lists and things like that. And you can do all these things to help remember. But Paul was saying, no, ever since I heard about your faith, I've not ceased to pray this thing for you. And imagine that if there was someone's like, there's something that I pray for you every day for. You'd think, well, that's got to be pretty important, doesn't it? And so, therefore, he, he's got this just emphasis and desire and passion that from the moment you heard, because again, when we become Christians, we think, well, what's the next step? What's the most important thing for us? Like if you found out someone's given their life to the Lord, what's the next step for them? And I believe this is kind of what Paul's talking about. And so he says, I'm going to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. There's a few words here that I just want to draw out. The first one is filled. And it's this idea of fullness. When we're filled, it's not just a little bit. It's not cup half full, cup half empty. It's that kind of idea. It's no, filled to the brim, overflowing to the top. And that's the heart of God in all things. He says, he anoints my head with oil, my cup. It flows over. This is what God wants for us in our life, to be full of the right things. And so he's saying, you're going to be full, completely to the brim, 100% of this thing. And what is this thing? He says, it's the knowledge of his will. That we know his will. I think it's important that we understand that the will of God is something that doesn't happen when we become a Christian. You know, there's not a day when you, you became a Christian and God said, oh, great, Dan's given his life to the Lord. We need to find him something to do. You know, that's not how it works. I want to share some scriptures with you. I'm going to go back a book into Ephesians, two, two books. Well, let us. He says in chapter one of Ephesians, verse four, even as he chose us, I am chosen, not forsaken. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. Now, we can argue when that was. It was a long time ago. And this was the plan of God, that before it all started, before he created, before he said, let there be light, he also said some other things before that that weren't recorded. And that was, Betty, I've got a plan for you. Gaynor, I've got a plan for you. That's what God was saying before he said, let there be light. He knew you. We go on in chapter... 2 of Ephesians, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So he created these things beforehand, 
that we should walk in them. You are not an afterthought. Jeremiah 29, 11, real famous verse. You might have it on your fridge on a little thing. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now he was talking about Israel, but the heart of God's of God is there. I have a plan for you. And the plan is a good plan. It's a plan of hope and it's a plan of a future. And this is what God has for us. And so I just want us to really grasp that, that God has ordained something for us before the foundation of the world. And maybe there's someone here who's not certain about this for themselves. But it says that he knew you in your mother's womb. When you were being knitted together, he knew you. You were not a mistake, but he had a plan and a purpose for you. I want you to turn to someone and just say, he's talking about you. Because again, the danger is we can think he's talking about someone else, you know? But he's talking about you, V. Yeah, amen. He's talking about you, Tracy. He is. Because he's got a plan and a purpose full of good works that he ordained before the foundation of the world. You know, sometimes we talk about whether we were planned or whether we were accidents as kids. You know, were you planned? Well, God planned you. Even if your parents didn't plan you. Maybe they thought they planned you, but really it was God who planned you. And so there's this, going back into Colossians. Go back there. So we've got this plan for the knowledge of his will. It says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So again, he's got this plan, but we need, there's a context in which we understand it, and that's spiritual wisdom and understanding. So if, God, if Paul's praying, you need spiritual wisdom and understanding, there's an implication of that. The implication is we lack it. You know, if someone says you need something, it implies you don't have it. And often we lack spiritual wisdom and understanding. Amen. (laughs) We may have earthly wisdom and understanding, but this one's not going to get us far. Now, some of you are pretty clever. (laughs) You say thank you. (laughs) Amen. It can be a benefit. But it's not going to get us far in terms of the will of God. And this is the trouble as we look at the world around us. The world is trying to do its best with earthly wisdom and understanding. You know, we look at the state of the government at the moment. They're doing their best. They're just maybe not as good as they need to be. You know, we look at economics. We look at all all the other junk that's going on. And people are trying to work it out. You know, I don't often believe that people are trying to do something uh, with malevolence. You know, they haven't got, you know, sitting in their evil lair going, hmm, we're going to do something bad. 
you know, they're actually trying to do something good, but they're trying to do it from their own understanding, devoid of the word of God and the purpose of God, and therefore it's going to come unstuck. Because it's earthly, it's, it's fleshly. And the problem is we have, uh, there is a problem, it's spiritual blindness. Because to have, you know, the idea of like, if you probably did a Google image search for like wisdom or intelligence, you probably get, you know, you get this light bulb that go, comes on. Ding! And this idea that there's light that comes in and actually it says at the end, or after the passage I read, it says we've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son, which is the kingdom of light. There's a process of the light coming on and the eyes suddenly seeing what we didn't see. Because if we go back into Corinthians, again, go hopping around, Paul. Corinthians chapter four, verse four. It says, in their case, the God of this world, which is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we've been talking about some of the things this morning about the spiritual battle that's going on. And there's a spiritual dynamic which the God of this world, the enemy, Satan, his purpose is to blind people's eyes from the light, from the truth, from the way, from Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew this all too well. Let's go back a few more chapters into Acts chapter 9. If you don't know much about the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always a very good boy. Um, he was zealous for the for the Lord, he loved God, at least he thought he did. And he was a passionate Jew. He went to Bible school, he went to, and he was raised perfectly. He tried to keep the law, doing it all right. He thought he could see, but he was blind. And he would go around and these Christians started coming up and he was like, well, we can't be having any of this. And he would go around persecuting them and killing them. He was not a very good boy. And it says at the beginning of chapter 9 of Acts, it says, but Saul, because that was his name uh, before Paul, Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he gets a letter and basically to bind them and bring them to Jerusalem. And then it says in verse 3, now he was on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because he thought he could see. He thought he was honouring God and serving God. But then God appears to him and says, no, you think you're doing right, but you're doing wrong. And you're actually persecuting me. It's interesting that a light came because he was in darkness. He needed a light to come. And it goes on and basically... Um, it says in verse 8, Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. And so he was, they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And so truly he was blind now. He had seen this light, but now he was blind. He couldn't see a thing. 
His physical state represented his spiritual state. And so then a guy called Ananias, massive respect to Ananias, you know, because this guy is killing Christians and then God says to Ananias, you've got to go and pray for Paul or for Saul. Imagine that, you know, there's someone around here and everyone knows that's the guy who kills Christians. And God says to you, oh, can you go and give him a visit? <laughs> Props to Ananias, Ananias, you know. And he goes to him. Let's go down to verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, on Paul, Saul, he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptised. Saul was blind, but a light came. The Holy Spirit came into his life and then he was able to see and not just with his physical eyes, but with his spiritual eyes, he recognised the path that he'd been going on was wrong, but now there was a right path for him to follow. You know, we can be following what we think is the right path. We can think we're doing the right thing, but yet be deceived. Thankfully, Jesus Christ himself declared that he has come to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blind. So where we've got this spiritual blindness problem, Jesus has said, I've come to give sight to the blind. And there was a time that Jesus was walking around and there was a blind man called Bartimaeus. And he cried out, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I want to ask you, is there a cry in your heart today to say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I know I'm blind and I want to see. There have been times I know in my life of what I call enlightenment, when, when the light bulbs come on. And sometimes we've got to, it comes when we cry out from the depth of our being to God. You know, there, I, there was a time, and I've shared the story, so some of you have probably heard this before. I was just in this time of wrestling with God. Because, and I look at it now and I think, it's because I was thinking with earthly thoughts. Because I was thinking, how oh God, I can't seem to please you. I can't seem to live this Christian life. I can't do it. I can't do it. And I was wrestling and I was praying. And God opened the word. It says, said to me, you are accepted. And they went, bing, you know, spiritual light. Now, people have probably told me that all my life growing up, but suddenly it came on, the light came on. Because I, I don't know what it was, and you can't orchestrate these opportunities. You can't say, I'm going to get really passionate. I'm going to get really intense. You know, but when the cry of the heart comes out to God, he reveals himself. God, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I need to see your truth in this situation. Again, we kick back into Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. And this was a verse I remember learning when I was a young person. It's always stuck with me. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Because our mind, our eyes will be filled with the things we look upon. 
And if you spend your life looking at earthly things, earthly wisdom, then your thinking and your mind, your sight will be all based around that. Because you're thinking, oh, it's not that bad, is it? Well, they got a good point there. I was actually listening. Who was it? He was a, just a short video, and it was this guy who said, uh, he was a left-wing activist. And I wouldn't say who is, but... Um, and he was like, my purpose was to go and debunk all of these things that people were saying. And he set out and he was like, but the trouble is, as I tried to debunk them, I realised they were true. Because the trouble is, if you just fill your life with lies, you're going to believe them. Maybe we need to cry out, son of David, have mercy on me. So it goes on to say, so let's summarise, we want to be full of the knowledge of his will, but in spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then it says these words, verse 10 in Colossians chapter 1, so as to walk, so as to walk. If you can't, you can't walk if you don't see. Not walk in the way that God wants you to walk anyway. You can walk around bumbling around and maybe this is what our society is doing. They're trying to walk around like a blind person and they bumble around trying to find their way. But God's purpose is that we walk according to his way. He says that we walk according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. And we can only do it with our spiritual eyes open. Otherwise, we'll be doing it in the flesh. And that's where I was. I was saying, I need to do this. I need to live up to this thing. I need to be this thing, become this thing. Or we're saying, I can do this. I can do anything I want. You can't tell me what to do. And it's all about me. We can't walk without sight. But it says that we may walk according to his will. Now, the the question is, how do we know his will? Because that's the thing. It's It's all good me sitting there saying, You know, you've got to be filled with the knowledge of his will. But how do we actually even know this will so that we can walk in it? Just a really few, it's really quite simple. One, read your Bible. You know, there's so much in there. We're like, God, what's your will for my life? It's like, kind of says really simple things like love your neighbour, be generous, work as unto the Lord. I like to say, actually it says, in whatever you do, it's not like, because you can be like, what job, Lord? Whatever job you do, do it as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what job it is sometimes. Read your Bible to know what he's already said. Because sometimes we're too busy asking him for some lightning bolt revelation from heaven when he's like, well, you haven't done the basic stuff yet. Do what I've already told you to do and then we'll get onto the more complicated stuff. And that is, the next thing, read your Bible. Number two, ask. God, what's your will? Listen. Ask the question, then stop talking and listen. Because actually by spending time with God, speaking to him, listening, he will speak to us. 
Because often we're going about these things. What do I do about this? God, I'm worried about this. What do I do about this? And we just talk, 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 talk. And actually we don't wait for his response. And sometimes you have to wait for the response. It's not just going to come straight away. We have to wait. And sometimes it comes through the scriptures. Sometimes it comes through a person. Who knows? But we have to wait on him. And we don't know what to do because we have not asked him. And the third thing on that is knowing his will is obeying him. Because again, it's all good to ask and to get this information. But then if we don't do it, then we won't grow in it. And this is what I'm going to show you now. Because actually, as we obey, it becomes clearer. And what we don't often get is the big pan picture of our life. This is how the next 50 years are going to pan out. We're going to know every intricacy. Often it's like, no, do this today. Do this thing. And the next thing. Because I always think, God, if you want me to do something particular, you will tell me if I'm in a position where I'm listening. Now, often the problem is if you're not in a position because you're not listening. So put yourself in that place. Read your Bible. Ask him. Listen to him and obey him. And that's when we can walk in him. Because he's showing us what to do. I was thinking if you uh, watch TV or know adverts, there's a Red Bull advert says it gives you wings. And I'll be honest, I was thinking about this. I think walking in the spirit is like that. It gives you wings. And that doesn't mean it's all easy. But it releases you of strain and stress. Because when you're doing things in your own strength, you're going to constantly be reliant on your own strength to succeed. But when you're walking in the things of God... It's his strength, and we'll get onto this in a moment, that works through us. But he says to walk in a manner worthy. Our life should glorify God by representing and reflecting him. When we think about the will of God for your life, he says, I've called you to be an ambassador for me. So if you have said yes to Jesus, your call is to be an ambassador for him. Not of yourself, not of some other cause. Now, it might subsequently be of something else, but ultimately, first and foremost, it's him. And you reflect him in your character, in your conduct. And then it says, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit, in every good work. When we walk in him, he 10Xs our lives. <laughs> you know, he, not, he, he increases our fruitfulness in a way that we could never be fruitful. And I, I look at my own life and sometimes I look at it in wonder, not kind of, wow, Daniel, you're wonderful. <laughs> but in terms of, how did I get here? How did I do this? Like particularly in my work, I think, how, do I, how did I get here? And it, I believe it's by the grace of God. And now it's not to say I just turned up one day and I, it was like someone handed me a job. Like I did work, I did study, all of those things. But God multiplied those things because of faithfulness. 
and trust in him and obedience to him. And that's not to say every step of the way I knew what I was doing, he was saying. Sometimes it felt like I was not just walking on wings, but I was winging it. You know, and, you know, and, and sometimes we don't always know, but we have that deep trust in God to say, God, I trust you're in control. Even when I don't know why I didn't get that job or why that thing didn't work out for me. Like I'm trusting you because I don't know the big picture, but you do. And I trust that you have a plan and a purpose that is greater than that. And our fruitfulness comes from him. Again, if we take it back to, if you go and read John 15, it talks about abiding in the vine and that we bear much fruit. And it's the same thing. We walk in him and we bear much fruit. It comes from that place of abiding and walking in him. And increasing in the knowledge of God, which is important because day one, you do not know it all. Day one, you know very little. (laughs) As you walk, as you obey, as you listen, as you learn, you, you grow in this knowledge, you grow in this wisdom, things become clearer. But strengthened as well with all power, being strengthened. So as you walk, you get stronger. Now, sometimes we stop and we think, I need to get strong before I walk. But I believe God is saying it's the other way. You walk and you get strong. So if you're waiting for something to happen before you follow God and do what he says, then don't wait, act. And he will give you the strength. It's his strength that works through us. It also says, so he's equipping us, calling to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. They say also he's equipping us in character. Character is so important. Again, if we're representing Christ, if we are his ambassador, your character is so important. Focus on character above gifting. I'm not worried about gifting. I'm worried about character. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of your word. Be a person of integrity. Now again, it's not a person of perfection. We fall, we slip, we, all those things. But be a person of character. Because it says, for his endurance, patience and joy. It's interesting that joy came third. <laughs> we have to endure sometimes. We have to be patient and then there's joy. You know, sometimes we've got joy at the beginning. But we go through things that are elsewhere. There's a, I can't remember where it is now, but there's an interesting passage that says that you do one thing and then this gets added to you. You do that and this gets added to you. Then this gets added to you. This gets added to you. And we grow. And it's by doing tough things. I was speaking to a, a new friend I've made. It's nice to make new friends. Um, and he was saying in his kind of church experience, he came to a church and they just like, okay, you're doing van duty. And he was, they, they gave him all these jobs, you know. He's like, I'm doing chair duty, I'm doing van duty, I'm doing sweep up duty. And the reality is doing these things produces character within you. <laughs> Amen. And Jesus showed that, didn't he? He said, get down and wash someone's feet. You know, these things, because in those, in difficult situations where you deny yourself, it creates character. 
in you. So it goes on to say, there we go, giving thanks. Giving thanks. Thanksgiving is the fruit of our walk. And it's interesting, I was thinking, we don't recognise this at the beginning. Like obviously, there's a point where we come to Jesus and we're like, yeah, it's great, my sins are forgiven. But there's a point in our walk where our thanksgiving matures. Because our thanksgiving is, I'm just thankful I get to be part of this. Like in our worship this morning, God, like you can't explain it, the, the thanksgiving of God's presence in your life. But as we walk in Christ, we recognise the fullness of God given to us. When we're walking in him with eyes that are open, we're like, God, wow, you've given me everything I need. The fullness of God is given to us. Not that we are God, but every, it says at the beginning of Ephesians, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing, not just one or two, every spiritual blessing is yours. But you only recognise this, you only experience it as you walk in him, as we've described. You also recognise, it says, it says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Today, you can walk in an inheritance of God that is given to you. But there's also an inheritance to come in eternity. And I believe the more you walk with God, the more you look forward to being with him and the ties of this world get loosened. There's a a phrase, Maranatha, come Lord. Now, some people might cry that just out of desperation of God, get me out of this situation. I need you to come. But we can also cry it because God, I just want to be with you. Come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. I just want to be with you. And yeah, there are things in this world I care about, but nothing compared to you. And so this is my prayer for us, that we walk in the fullness of God. As we've looked at these things, I think there's an order that is important. Because sometimes in God, you have to go through a process to get to certain things. Because it says, wisdom, ask. And let's start there. Let us, if we feel that our eyes are muddy, our eyes are cloudy, then ask, have mercy on me, reveal your light to me. But we can't do it, we can't do it just like as a passing thought. Set yourself time with God to seek him. Set yourself so you're not consumed with the things of this world. Just a little side thing, it just came to my mind. I was listening to, again, another little video. And someone was saying, how do you, like, in prayer, do you find, like, all these things come to your mind? Your, your brain's popping, like, left, right, and centre. And how do you overcome that? And the guy said, well, if the rest of your life is like that, and your brain's popping, and, you're, you know, you're just content, content, idea, you know, no wonder it's going to be like that also in prayer. We have to create some rhythm and stillness in the rest of our life so that when we come to God in prayer, we have that as well. It's just interesting. It just came to my mind.
We have to come to him and seek him. We can't expect to spend 99% of our time in the things of the world and then the 1% with God is just like, oh, this is brilliant. It's like, it just doesn't work that way. But also we're not waiting for a spiritual download. You know, okay, you know, nowadays don't really get that as much, but most of you are of a generation where you remember hitting the download button and you sit in there and it's going 1%, 2%, 3%. And we can sit there like that and we're like, God, reveal to me your will. We're sitting there waiting for the download to happen. And then when it comes, we can go. No, we say, God, reveal to me your wisdom. And then by faith, we move, believing that he will give us the wisdom that we need. He will give us the strength we need. His spirit will convict us of the things that need convicting of as we walk in him, that we might be pleasing to him, that we might know the inheritance in him. And so Paul said this prayer because he, I just believe he thought, you've got to get this. You've got to get it. Because if you don't get it, the rest is rubbish. You know, you're never going to get onto other things if you don't get this. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that God will bring this light into your life and that you will walk in that and thoroughly enjoy him. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man.